Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Here in our 4th Assembly District, my guest Don Saylor is running as a Democrat for the Assembly seat currently held by Bill Dodd, who's moving on to the State Senate. Dan Wolk, who ran against Dodd a couple of years ago, is running as the officially endorsed Democratic candidate, and Don Saylor has also entered that race. Don is a Yolo County supervisor, a past mayor and council member of the city of Davis, and past president and trustee for the Davis Unified School District. It is my pleasure to welcome Don Saylor here to the program. Don, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, it's a delight. I look forward to talking with you and and getting to know Napa residents even better. Well, it's great to have you here. At one point, you endorsed Dan Woke. What what made you think that you wanted to get into this race and that you had something important to contribute to this fourth assembly district? I mean, I endorsed Dan in the in the, the previous assembly election. race right. in 2014. Correct. And uh, I, I'm, yes, I entered this this race for the assembly for the June 7th primary. In the November general election, uh, early on, actually before Dan made an announcement that he was running for election again, I, I just looked at the at the field and in in the, the, the race and decided that it was important that somebody with actual an actual record of service of 20 years in elected office across the spectrum of issues uh, should be should be entering the, the field here. I worked for the California Legislative Analyst from 79 to 84 and had a 25-year state career before retiring in 2003. So altogether, I've been involved in public service most of my life since the age of 21. And this is, uh, I think we need people in the legislature who are steeped in policy issues, have a record of service, and a real, real record of results. And that's that's why I decided to run. And Jeff, now the the, the legislature is actually changing. And over the past couple of decades, the average length of service in the state assembly has been about three and a half years. So people would come in and they would immediately start looking for their next job. I'm interested in this. For the first time, we've have we have an opportunity for members of the legislature to become knowledgeable in their in their issue areas and make a real difference. And that's where people with experience and background like mine become even more critical. Certainly part of that is is as a result of the change that takes that's taken place with respect to term limits. Talk a little bit about your feelings about term limits. Well, I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think that what's what's happened with term limits is that we've had people turn over really quickly. Now, the, the good part about that is we've had a, a much more representative uh, body. We've had more more uh, Latinos and African Americans and uh, in in the legislature than we've had in the past, and so we've we've been able to to have California's population um, represented well. What what has happened though as a result of the of the rapid turnover is that the role of legislative staff who've been in the in the Capitol building for decades and the role of, of uh, public interest groups and lobbyists and advocates on all these other matters have become those those roles have become more more and more significant as the 
individual members' knowledge of issues and, and frankly, of processes have have taken second second chair. So I think that the the change in term limits that the voters approved a couple of years back that that revised the length of of, uh, of possible service from six years in the assembly uh, and and uh, eight years in the senate to a, a total of twelve years in in either house. I think stands. I think that's going to be. Uh, I'm excited about that. That gives uh, that gives uh, members an opportunity to remain in one house if they chose to. Mr. Dodd is moving after one two-year term. Uh, I'm actually interested in in uh, serving in the assembly mm-hmm. uh, for the for the full 12 years because I think that I could I could make a difference there. I want the legislature to be transparent and accountable and have the have the members do their more and more of their business uh, in the public eye and uh, less in caucus rooms and in uh, leadership committees is, that is, the public never sees. Is there a danger in that, though, of a lot more grandstanding, a lot more partisanship, a lot more playing to the cameras, and a lot less getting done? One of the things that we've seen, certainly— during the Brown administration, and I think it's fair to say in the legislature in general over the past several years, is a, a slightly greater sense of accomplishment and bipartisanship. Your thoughts about that? Well, I, I think that when I, I, I do think that there is a value in the public seeing how their business is being done on their behalf. And I, I've, in my own local government service, and as a school board member, a city council member, and a county supervisor, all of our activities are in the public. The open meeting laws uh, have some pretty specific requirements, and and uh, you know it can be cumbersome. It can be it can be uh, inefficient. It can, but you know what? Democracy is like that. The idea that you uh, that uh, that that people have uh, a, a right to see what their elected officials are doing, and even to to participate in the process, I think that's fundamental to our country. And I'm really a little bit dismayed that, the, that our legislature that passes open meeting laws for local governments has not uh, held itself to the same standard, or at least some semblance of the same standard. So I, I think there's a, there's a lot of room from the closed-door caucus meetings to to uh, a, 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 a true vote of the people on every issue, and I think we've gone a little bit too far into the into the uh, the caucus rooms. Mm-hmm. So I think efficiency and democracy. Uh, there's a balance that we're looking for, and I'd like to move it a little further to transparent. As as you look at the current legislature over the past several sessions, and really since uh, Jerry Brown has been governor. What what grade would you give it? How do you look at the accomplishments of the past five, six years? Well, I think that the, on the fiscal side of things, the the state has managed its way through a, a very challenging recession. Uh, we, I think that, that, that that's been an accomplishment that we can point to. I think that we've, we've had significant difficulty addressing the big picture issues of infrastructure, I think we've made some good advances in education. I think we've got some, some, we've made some good advances on water issues. Uh, and, and yet that is still an area that needs a c- tremendous amount of attention. 
Uh, I think this recent action, recent set of actions on, on uh, climate change and and the targets for greenhouse gas reduction, uh, I think that was that was unfortunate. I think we could have made more progress there, and we need to. Let's. Uh, I think as you go across the board, we've got some fairly large issues that are looming that I'd like to see some real advances in. The the high speed rail project uh, has been uh, is is uh, is, is uh, not a reasonable uh, cost benefit trade off uh, with the Central Valley, but I think as we move to to prioritizing other segments of that of that investment in reducing congestion, that we may be making some progress. The twin tunnel uh, proposal, the the, uh, the big water fix, mm-hmm. uh, I think is is uh, we, we 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 need to need to stop that in its tracks. It's become quite a quite an albatross, and we want to we do need to protect the delta. And I think we've got some, and then still provide water to to uh, Southern California in some some ways uh, through conservation and desalinization and and uh, increased uh, effective effectiveness of groundwater storage. I think the legislature has made some really good strides in the arena of making sense out of the medical marijuana uh, cultivation and distribution. I think that's been a good a good step in this past in this past few months. What further would you like to see in that regard? Well, I, I uh, Jeff, I was uh, I worked in the in the criminal justice system mm-hmm. uh, for state of California. I was a an education administrator and a delinquency prevention manager for the California Youth Authority uh, for a number of years, and I, I saw uh, case files of a, a lot of young people who got uh, set in motion, just who, who set in motion the life of of criminality and in and out of institutions for offenses that in some communities they might have simply been taken home and given a stern lecture and in some communities they're they're arrested and spend time in jail and can't make bail and spend and uh, just just have a, a, a dickens of a time it just starts with some minor drug offense I, I think that we're at a place where where most Californians are beginning to see uh, a, a, a that there's a different course, a more sane course, uh, that w- a regulated course uh, with with uh, marijuana for non-medicinal purposes. It's an industry that exists in our state. It's an industry that that can be that, that I think would be improved, uh, and if we regulate it and legalize it, and I think that that's going to be on the. Uh, I'm happy that that's going to come before the voters. And I, I look forward to the dialogue that, that emerges. I'm interested in decriminalizing uh, activities that that uh, ought not be criminal and ought to be regulated and, and in some cases uh, uh, treated in different ways. Mm-hmm. The revenues that can come to state and local governments from legalization are substantial and would be a, a, would help us in the in addressing some of the ups and downs of our state's economy. You know, one of the issues I wanted to just touch on on the, sure. the topic of uh, how the legislature and governor are, are, are faring, uh, it seems that these, these boom and bust cycles that we continue to have have generated a, a 
a, uh, a cautious approach from the governor to set aside this uh, rainy day fund. And I think no one would argue that a, that a, a conservative approach to planning for emergencies and downturns uh, is, is a wise idea. Of course it is. The challenge is that when, this, when the bust comes, when, when the busts have come in the economic cycles, uh, we've, we've looked too often to the most vulnerable among us as the way of balancing our budgets. And then when the boom comes, uh, we are reluctant, we have been reluctant to reinvest in things like early childhood education or uh, rest- restoring the, the, uh, the grant levels for aged, blind, and disabled people who receive the SSI, SSP payments, and, and, and pretty much any, any other uh, human service program. So uh, I'm, my, my concern is that this ongoing boom and bust cycle continues to harm those who are least able to, to, uh, to move up the ladder by themselves the most vulnerable populations. And I'm interested in, in uh, stabilizing our revenue framework in the state and something like uh, uh, legalization of cannabis with very thoughtful approaches to how we regulate and, and how, it's, how it's made available through, uh, through the economy, I, I think can, can assist us uh, as a state in handling some of our revenue boom and bust cycles. Certainly one of the other things that is part and parcel of these boom and bust cycles is really the friendliness towards business in California and the ongoing business climate. I mean, certainly there are broader economic issues that are often part of that boom and bust cycle, but California's willingness to to really put laws in place that are friendlier to business has been part of it as well. Talk a little bit about how you see that. Well, I like to think of it as as uh, uh, as certainly our our job environment is is key to ongoing uh, prosperity. And California is so well positioned in the global economy to connect and link. Our, our people are creative. Our climate and is uh, is very productive. We've got amazing academic institutions and and on innovative entrepreneurs. And we, I'd love to think of ways to harness all of those energies uh, so that when we have a goal, let's say a goal of, of a greenhouse gas reduction or a goal of workplace safety or one of, of uh, protecting our rivers or, or employing, educating and employing uh, the, uh, the, the state's population. I'd like to think that we can bring the parties together, business and labor, environmentalists, community activists, educators, and create um, shared plans so that what we're doing, instead of, instead of detailed regulatory action for business to adhere to, we're, we're asking their, advi- their advice on how we can achieve the goals, some of the goals that I just outlined. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, here's an example of what I'm what I'm kind of talking about. Uh, I know a farmer in the in the rural part of District Four who has a packing shed, and this is a farmer whose uh, whose operation produces uh, vegetables to sell at farmers markets. And the packing shed 
Uh, they've installed a photovoltaic array on the roof. And, and by doing that, they're able to provide all the electrical energy they need to, to power their farm's operations, except for some pumps. And those pumps are used very short time during the year, but the pumps are old. And, they're, they're, and the pumps have, by, by uh, the regulatory processes of the local air quality management district, the pumps must be replaced at a cost of tens of thousands of dollars, even though they're only used a few a few days in the course of a year, and even though the farmer has already reduced uh, that farm's carbon footprint through the installation of the photovoltaics. Uh, the challenge here is that the air quality management districts are, are responsible for only some sources of, air, of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, where the state has other responsibilities and federal government is responsible for for uh, highway for for car uh, emissions for vehicle emissions, and so the farmer has to replace these these pumps, and it makes no sense to the farmer. So I think what we're what we need what I'd like to see us do is look at performance agreements where we say to a farmer like this, and I'd love to have the, the smart minds of of our district uh, work on an issue of this sort, we say to the farmer, your goal is to achieve this target. Tell us how you would do that. Now, business is, is like that farmer. Businesses are very creative and pragmatic. They, they, they get how to, if, if they know the goal, they're going to achieve it. If instead they're given a nonsensical uh, framework for regulation, they'll, they'll, they'll satisfy the framework but they may not meet the goal that you're intending to address. So I think we've, we've, we have a need to, to, to not be business-friendly or business-oppositional, but rather smart on what we're trying to achieve as a society and enlist the entrepreneurial, innovative spirit of our business community in, in, the, in doing that. One of the things that we hear about in every community, and, and they seem the same from community to community, things like how affordable housing, transportation, traffic. There are a number of issues that just no matter where you go, whether it's Davis or Napa or Santa Rosa or any place else uh, in the district, there are similar issues. Do we need to begin to take, in your view, a much more regional approach to solving some of these issues as opposed to trying to solve them community by community? Uh, most definite, most definitely, and the the issues of, of affordable housing and transportation access are, are 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 very very well linked. One of the ways that I've been thinking about about this set of issues actually is in a Napa a Napa County uh, micro region, uh, and I want and I'll talk about that for a minute. I want to come back and, and talk with you about some exciting work that we're doing. On a, on a larger regional scale with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and the Sacramento Area Council of Governments. But first, just as a, on a Napa scale, we have Highway 29 that, that uh, and I think everybody is well aware of the traffic congestion that, that hits at, at, the, at many times during the day. When I come into Napa early in the morning, I'm being passed by, in some cases, Van loads of people uh, going up valley to to uh, to work. So people are living in Fairfield and Vallejo and in American Canyon and and other places in the south and traveling north. So a community uh, 
cannot solve the issues there all by themselves. It is a countywide and actually multi-county issue of where people live and where they work. I believe that a vital, thriving community has a place for all of its for all of its people, and that means elderly, and it means low-income folks, it means low low-wage workers, and and the, the whole spectrum of a population, because that makes for a, a healthy, vibrant community. I think that, that, so one of the ways that we could address a portion of this with challenges that we've got, uh, with the advent of, with the demise of the redevelopment funding source for affordable housing, uh, some of the communities are having quite, all communities are having challenge meeting the demand for workforce housing and low-income housing. So one thing I, I think would be uh, that I'm, I'm very interested in pursuing is the use of cap-and-trade revenues for for rural-targeted affordable housing and community design uh, projects. And here's the here's the here's the deal: the cap-and-trade revenues are generated by a, an, by basically it's an assessment on the large greenhouse gas emitters, uh, the sources. That, that provide the, the greatest amount of carbon into the atmosphere around the state. So there's a revenue stream, and that revenue stream is allocated by the California Air Resources Board, and much of it is is earmarked for for uh, additional transportation infrastructure, transit-oriented development near where a bus or a train station might be, residential areas, and and, and most of those are in urban areas. And so a project, an area like Napa County uh, would not be, is not eligible for much of that revenue because of the populations. And, and I think that's a mistake because if we were to invest a portion of cap-and-trade revenues in affordable housing projects, low-wage low worker housing projects that, that meet the local land use planning discussions, in Up Valley uh, and use a portion of these cap-and-trade revenues, we would be able to reduce vehicle miles and greenhouse gas emissions and traffic congestion in the broader region of Napa and its neighboring counties to the south. And that, so I'd like to do a little bit, a little bit more of that. But let me, let me talk to you about the, the other uh, aspect of regionalism. So here's what's been happening, uh, Jeff. That's been really exciting. This last last year, I was the chairman of the Sacramento Area Council of Governments, and this is a group that includes the six counties and 22 cities in the Sacramento region. The, the functions of the SACOG board are are analogous to the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and the Association of Bay Area Governments combined. So it's the setting a land use framework and a transportation plan. So we, we our body, for example, uh, put, just put together a, a $35 billion, 20-year uh, transportation and land use framework for, for that six-county, 22-city region. But in addition, the exciting thing is that we recognize that our, that our regions are interconnected. So in the case of, of, ABA, of uh, the, the Bay Area region and the Sacramento area region, Solano County and Yolo County are, are sort of nestled, nested with, uh, around each other. And yet Solano County is deemed a part of the Bay Area and, Sa- and Yolo is a part of the Sacramento area. 
Well, as we think about traffic congestion and transit, the Capitol Corridor that trans that uh, that cuts between San Francisco and Reno, uh, we we recognize that there are greater and greater number of issues that we can be much more effective with by not acting at a local level or a state level, but at a at a, at a kind of a mid at a little larger re- regional level. So the the Metropolitan Transportation Commission and the SACOG board have created a, a, a mega region uh, set of projects, starting with the Capital Corridor and allocation and determination of what the priorities should be for the high-speed rail corridors. And we'll be we'll see more and more of these issues come up, such things as freight hauling. Uh, should we should we, we're beginning the discussions of relocating uh, the cargo uh, rail lines away from the passenger lines so that we can increase the uh, reliability and desirability of of uh, passengers riding uh, passenger rail uh, on uh, on the capital corridor now we done, now we can start talking about how we connect uh, the communities uh, around the region an issue uh, to to uh, to that transit, so that would be uh, potential bus service or or rail service uh, from from uh, our Napa and Sonoma areas. And then you get an issue like Highway 37, that's clearly a regional uh, asset that has significant amount of of uh, of improvement needed as the sea level changes. Mm-hmm. So those are the issues like that require a greater regional focus because clearly no community can address those issues. And it's, and it's not a full, while there's a state interest involved, uh, there is a a need for a a regional focus there. How do you see your positions as appreciably different than your opponents, than Dan Wilkes in this race? I think a lot of the focus that I bring has, has been on mental health services and healthcare I've focused a lot of my attention as a county supervisor on food security. Uh, one in four children in California are hungry. I have actual experience in dealing with those issues and love to talk with you about, about each one of them. I was a school board member for eight years, built, built schools with my colleagues. Uh, I've been a, so I think a lot of the, of the depth that I bring is, is a, is a real difference. Um, when you when you have when you work at a county level, which I have been doing for the past five years, and when you have the regional focus that comes from being a part of the of a board like SACOG, then you have a depth of of engagement on issues that the legislature deals with. I know what cities do because I was a city council member for seven years, uh, and I and I've, because of that. I have, I'm pretty aware of what they don't do and the, the array of topics that I'm steeped in through the experiences that I've had gives me a perspective in the legislature that, that other candidates uh, don't, don't have. In terms of the, the areas of focus, I think I've touched on several of them that matter uh, to me and mm-hmm. uh, their mental health, health care, a strong agricultural economy, connections with the food system so that 
as we produce agri- uh, agricultural goods for export, we're not leaving out the vulnerable populations. I've, I've actually built, uh, not well, let me say this differently, because I don't want to say that I actually hammered every nail in every <laughs> wall, because the joy of this work is working with others and helping others to achieve and to bring together the strongest insights, wisdom, and efforts of groups to to solve problems that nobody can solve by themselves. And those are the things that that really excite me about the public service that I've been involved in. So I guess that that there are a number of policy issues that, that on a given day I'll be focused on. But really what I, what I bring that others in the field uh, don't bring is a, a record of 40 years of results and a, and a strong commitment to public service that dates back to, to my childhood. We've talked a little about transportation, about housing, about some of these regional issues. What do you see as the primary issues that Napa specifically, that Napa County specifically is facing that really are issues that, that you'd be dealing with on a state level as, as the assemblyman for the county of Napa? I think I touched on a little bit on mm-hmm. Road 29 and right. the, the, the large number of folks who are, who are, there's a jobs housing mismatch. Uh, folks are traveling a great distance. Well, and actually sometimes a great distance, but oftentimes just a lot of time. And that's, that's degrading the, the quality of life for, for everyone. Uh, for, for, so I think that's a, an issue that the state does need to pay attention to. We cannot solve the problem solely by increasing the capacity of the highways. We, we need to look at, at active transportation modes of walking, biking, and, and uh, transit modes to to uh, create a, uh, a a sense of community that that uh, that works. So I think from the state perspective, working on on uh, funding infrastructure, allocating funds through cap and trade for projects that benefit the local communities and that Napa can be eligible for. I think those are a couple of the a couple of the things. Then then as we as we think about. Uh, the issues around affordable housing we we need to we need to give local communities more tools uh, so that if they choose to they can implement an inclusionary policy in some communities uh, and i think when we provide funding to our communities from state sources then we we probably want to want to find ways to incentivize the communities to actually address the the goals of of reducing uh, traffic congestion and increasing the numbers of people who live closer to their to their workplaces. So those so using our our state resources as incentives to to help people be creative and, and address these issues, I think is is a is a piece. I think we need to continue to invest in in fire suppression, in in uh, assuring that our that our for, that our uplands. Uh, are are, uh, are are capable of maintaining the watersheds that we rely upon. Uh, Napa County has has some significant water supply issues, and that's that's going to be a continuing issue for us around the state. And I think it's, it's sometimes uh, pretty easy to to be to, to look at at one one size fits all solutions at the state level. 
and I'm, I'm interested in in the working with the Napa County supervisors and the, the local government officials to understand more fully exactly how these issues unfold at the local level. One of the issues that Napa's Napa's residents will be dealing now the city of Napa at this time will be dealing with uh, here. Uh, it's the city of Napa and Napa County is the is a, an exciting uh, revenue measure that's on the ballot in in June, and that's a measure that it will address children's services and a, and a support for the debt service for the the uh, construction of the new jail. Now, I think that there's no question that. To me, that investment in in children's services is a, is valuable and a high. It's a pay me now or pay me later kind of thing. And we we know that your superintendent of education, Barbara Nemco, has just been an incredible champion for early childhood education and and breaking through the equity issues uh, for for child for children's learning. And the idea that that, uh, that we could provide a, 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 a an ongoing funding source through the sales tax increase for early childhood services, yeah, I think this is really a, a very sensible approach. And it is it is also no secret that Napa is sending the the uh, inmates that they that they're now being asked to house under the new state legal framework. Uh, they're being sent to Solano County, I believe it is. And that is a cost to the county residents. And it, it, I think if you can relocate the jail, and I'm, I'm not, I don't need to talk about whether, what location is good or bad. That's not that's an issue for local discussion. But, but moving it out of the downtown, I think, is a very appropriate. Uh, and the, and it's a, so I'm really trying to make a plug for folks to really, really look favorably at this measure Y that's on the ballot in Napa. And it makes all the sense in the world that 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 would be going forward with support of the communities. Don Saylor, candidate for Fourth District Assembly. Don, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Jeff, it's a pleasure. I, I hope that that we we have a chance to meet again and and talk through talk through more issues. I'll be listening to your program. Thanks so much, <laughs> Don. You take care. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.